Thanks very much, Rob. Thanks to the band as well. Yeah, great thought and appropriate thought as we look at uh, Galatians. We're going to look at Galatians in a little while. Cindy read some of the opening verses from Galatians uh, 1 to 10 just to lead us into worship. We'll look at all of those verses in a moment. First of all, there are sort of notices interlude. Um, we are getting close to Alpha it's in a couple of weeks' time on the 24th. And in our evening service, just last Sunday, we did a survey using a kind of app thing called Slido. Um, you might have used similar things if you're at university or about to start university. It's a trendy thing at the moment. For people who didn't have a smartphone on them, there was a kind of paper-based version that they could do. But it, it is really one of those things that's happening at the moment. My son is at university doing architecture. They don't use Slido, but they use a similar thing where a lecturer can ask a comment, and with their smartphones, all the comments kind of appear on the screen, which, when you think of it, is a bit dangerous. <laughs> with a whole lecture theatre full of students because they're commenting anonymously. So most of it's all, all okay, but there was a, Alex was describing uh, one recent lecture where they were, the lecturer was asking for some comments on a particular style of architecture and some of the features. And what happens was, if a, if a comment appears more than once, it gets bigger on the screen, the words get bigger. And the dominant words were, it's freezing in here, can you turn the air conditioning down? <laughs> And the lecturer's trying to say, I've noticed that, I've noticed that, I've noticed about, we're trying to sort out the temperature, but about this architecture, and all the time it's just getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> it's freezing in here. So we didn't particularly offer that, but if you were using your smartphone, there were comments, and, and I think we'll turn off the comments next time, because that didn't particularly help. There were things like, we like your shoes, Roger, where did you get your shoes from? <laughs> and things like that appeared on people's smartphones, didn't they? But... Basically, we were asking questions about Alpha. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do that and get out your smartphones. What I am going to ask you to do, as we're thinking about Alpha in a couple of weeks' time, is to guess their answers um, from last week. So, and, and there were only three questions, so this won't take the whole sermon. But we were asking the question, if you had a friend, a suitable friend, how likely is it that you would invite them to join the Alpha course at CBC. Unlikely, not sure, quite likely, or very likely. And the answers came out as a percentage. So this is, you know, somewhere between pointless and family fortunes, if you like. We asked 100 people uh, these questions, and we want your kind of percentage answer. It was a little bit less than 100, if I'm honest, but that, that works better, doesn't it? We asked 100 people, um, and so a percentage answer. So what I'd like you to do is to pick, you know, any of those as a guess, the unlikely, not sure, quite likely, very likely. Just, if you don't know the person you're sitting with, just introduce yourself to them. It's a good chance to do that. Say hello. And just give us your best guess answer for one of them. What percentage do you think was on very likely or quite likely or not sure or unlikely? Give your answer. Introduce and go. OK, everybody. So um, Kate's now not on the drum, so we won't have a drum roll. I'll just give you the answers. So here we go. Nobody said unlikely. Nobody said unlikely in our evening service. 12% said not sure. 52% they said they were quite likely to invite someone to Alpha, and 36% said very likely. Which, you know, if I take those last two, quite likely and very likely, 88% of people saying, yeah, you know, we're pretty likely to invite someone to Alpha. So the next question we asked was this. If you had a friend who was interested in coming to Alpha, how likely is it that you would come with them? So... Again, discuss with your friends. Unlikely, not sure, quite likely, very likely with the person that you're with. 
I should point out at this point that if you were in the evening service, there's no sort of extra smug points for knowing the answers. Don't give them away <laughs> to other people. Okay, so um, do, do we think this is likely to be sort of overall more positive answers if they come in? Or? Yeah, and it was kind of slightly like that. So again, nobody unlikely if their friend is coming. Not sure, nine. Quite likely, 17. Very likely, 74. So, again, you add up those last two positives, similar number, a little bit higher even, 91%. So there are some not very likely to ask their friends, but if they came, they'd come as well anyway. So 91%. So then we asked one more question, which was, how many friends do you have that you could potentially invite to Alpha at CBC? Um, not many. Two to five, five to ten, and over ten. I only realised when we analysed this afterwards that if you had exactly five, you could have been in either box, but we didn't notice that. So um, two, not many, two to five, five to ten, or over ten. Again, pick one of those and give us what you think your, the answers are likely to be. Have a chat with the people you're with. Okay, everybody, here's, here's the answers to our last question. Whoa. So um, it's working from the bottom. People with over 10 friends who they could invite, 2%, everybody. Um, 5 to 10, we have nobody would like just a handful of friends. Nobody seems to have that. You've either got over 10 or, or not very many you could invite. 2 to 5, 41%, and not many, 57%. So like 98% of, of us, if the evening service are as spiritual as you are, if 98% of us said, actually, not that many people who we could be inviting. I think it's a really interesting just snapshot survey of our people, including each one of us probably in those numbers. The first two bits, I think they show those first two questions that we feel reasonably positive about Alpha overall as something that we could use and invite our friends to, and we'd even come with them to encourage them to come. That last question, it kind of, it's serious for all of us, I think. It kind of means that collectively, if we're called to be fishers of people, that we're fishing from a very small pond when there's an ocean out there, or we think it's a pond. We're fishing for a particular type of mackerel when there's a whole bunch of other fish out there uh, available. We've pre-decided some of our friends are going to say no, and we've said their no for them. Or maybe we've said some sort of nuanced no, like my frontline friends are too many miles away. I work in Southampton or Portsmouth or Worthing. They're not going to come to Chichester, so they're not going to come to our Alpha course. You know, please know that our answer to that would be invite them to a local Alpha course to them. Go with them there. You know, go with them to, to, to a church there for a, for a little while. Come back to us eventually, please, if this is your spiritual home. But go with our blessing to invite them to, to that place. Um, one of the things I'm doing in a role for our denomination as president this year is asking some questions of other church ministers. And I asked them a similar question, actually. I didn't, this was way before this survey, along the lines of, if your congregation said to you, yeah, my, my frontline friends are just too far away from our church, so they're never going to come to our church. What would you say? And they all say, all the other ministers say, we don't care. It's not about them coming to our church. It's about them coming to Jesus. So I just thought they were interesting results, interesting for us all to think about. And behind us, it being worth us thinking about it, 
is a gospel drive, a gospel imperative. Uh, and the idea that, it's, that this matters, both now and forever. And that drive is a key thing within this letter, the letter to Galatians. Is the gospel is good news, and we have this impetus, and it drives us on. So Galatians 1, and from verses 1 to 10, it'll be on the screen. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins and rescued us from the present age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Evidently, some of you are throwing, some are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under a curse. As we have already said, so now say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under a curse. And now, am I trying to win approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And just to show you that this gospel emphasis is so much there in Galatians, that page before, I'm just going to highlight the word gospel. It's like the dominant theme in every sentence there in the core of the start of this letter. In maths, there's a basic rule that if you add something... Uh, to something else, as long as it's a positive thing. If you're thinking complicated, massive, negative numbers, stop thinking that. That doesn't help my illustration. But if you, if you add something to something else, a positive thing to something else, then you get more. If you add something to something, you get more than you started with. But sometimes beyond mass, that isn't true. It works always in mass like that. But in other aspects of life, sometimes... Less is more. Sometimes adding more takes away. It diminishes. It doesn't add. In maths, that's hard to get your head around. But in other aspects of life, we could understand that. Take that, for example, in art. I don't know if you can see this in this picture, but the Mona Lisa in the Louvre, it has protected glass in front of it. That's not just to stop theft. It's because we're not all free to go there with our Sharpies and add a hat to Mona Lisa. To add something to it would be to diminish, to take away. It doesn't add to the picture in that sense. Both of my adult children have um, artistic skills that I don't have. And I love to kind of just tease them with that when they've completed something. So my son has done some brilliant architectural drawing, and I will offer to colour it in for him. <laughs> and he will know that I wouldn't even keep to the lines if I coloured it in for him. And to add would be to take away. My daughter does great ceramics work, some of which is being produced at the moment, and uh, will be in some shop, a shop or two in Stoke-on-Trent. And, you know, I'll offer to colour that in as well and paint it for her. She doesn't seem to want that. Because to add would be to take away, to diminish. Or consider in cooking. If you're in a really fine restaurant, which I've hardly ever been, a, a, sh a good chef 
a really top chef, if, if they're looking at you eating just through the glass and through the window, they, they will sort of weep quietly to themselves if you add salt and pepper without tasting the thing that they've produced. Or worse, if you ask for ketchup <laughs> for the thing that they've just produced. Because to add is to take away. It's to diminish, not to improve the thing. So my working theory on, it, on that is something like this. Sometimes more is less. If something is complete and is completed by someone who knows what they are doing, then adding something to it diminishes it. It doesn't add to it. And that's so relevant to Galatians. Because what, what Jesus offers, the, the good news, the gospel, is a complete thing. And if we add to it, um, with any practices that must be added or sort of traditions or rules and make those things we must add as, in addition to the gospel, we haven't added to it. We've taken away. And that's what's at stake in this letter to the churches and congregations in and around Galatia. The Christians Paul is writing to have been influenced by some others who have added to Paul, what Paul taught. And he deliberately didn't give them some other things to do in addition to the message of hope in Jesus. So what we have is this kind of incense, sharply written, harsh letter in many ways. And it's worth saying, because we've picked this as a series, we haven't picked this because we particularly want to have a go at our congregation, um, because it needs a particularly harsh word or anything like that. Please be rest, uh, rest assured in that. Um, and we're not hiding behind some Bible passages in order to say some difficult things. It's not that at all. There are some vital treasures within this letter. This letter was written to what is now south-central Turkey. Most scholars agree that it was written by Paul around AD 50, so only maybe 15 to 20 years after the death of Jesus. So it's one of the earliest documents that we possess from the start of the church's existence. And a key aspect of the message that Jesus brings is that in God, what he's now building is a new family, a single family, with no separate races, no Jews and Gentiles sitting on different tables. We're all one together. Paul explains that, and then he goes and preaches the gospel elsewhere. Others come in who are uh, Jewish believers, and there are non-Jewish believers, Gentile believers, and, and they add to what Paul is saying. What they basically say is that not central to the gospel in the way that is there in this passage, they're attacking the person who's bringing this message. So they're saying, Paul's words are not reliable. And he answers that in our opening passage by saying, reminding them that he is an apostle. Now, if you're from a Jewish background, that has deep meaning already within their culture. An apostle is a special sent messenger sent with authority and commission from some body or person with higher authority. So they knew about Jesus' apostles, but Paul isn't quite in that category to them. And Paul feels the need to defend his position here. If you compare this with other letters from Paul, he is much more simple about calling himself an apostle in Romans, called to be an apostle. Elsewhere, you might say, like in 1 Corinthians, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Elsewhere, he just simply says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will or command of God. But here he insists, he has to spell it out, that it wasn't anything to do with any people. 
that it's a wholly divine calling that he has been given. Then they say, these other people, these people who've come in since he was there, some are saying he doesn't even have the proper authority. So he says, look, I'm, this is spelling out the, the, the apostle bit. I'm sent not from man, men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Jesus, who raised him from the dead. So then they say, well, here's the real thing. If you're not from a Jewish background, if, if you're a Gentile believer and you want to really be part of the inner circle of followers of Jesus, then you need to become a Jew first. Just add that on to the gospel. You know, sometimes you add and it takes away. And he, in order to contradict that, he talks about the gospel. If you read all of Paul's letters, there's a formula. And the way he starts, he says, he has a greeting. Then he says, grace and peace. He always says grace and peace in his letters. And then he has some thanksgiving. He has some thanksgiving, often in the form of a prayer. I always thank God for you, he says, and blah, 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 because of the things I remember of you in your context. So when you read one of Paul's letters, if you've read the other ones, you look for greeting, you look for grace and peace, and you look for thanksgiving. Until you get to Galatians, where you have greeting, tick, grace and peace, tick, thanksgiving, nope. You have, I am astonished that you're so quickly falling away turning away from the message that was given to you. The Greek word there is an interesting one. It signifies transferring one's allegiance from one thing to another. Transferring one's allegiance, like soldiers in an army revolting or deserting from one place to another. Those false teachers were evidently Judaizers whose summary of the gospel you could find in Acts, if you want, Acts 15. Unless you're circumcised, according to the customers of Moses, they're saying, you can't be saved. You must add works, in other words, to this issue of grace. And the message of grace, the message of Jesus isn't like that. It's that we're forgiven and restored and adopted and loved and chosen and wanted and, and we can't earn God's favour. The source of salvation is grace, God's free favour, irrespective of anything that we've done. So Jesus plus X, where X is anything that we must do, any standards that we must meet, anything we must comply with, is less, not more. And here's the key thing. This gospel isn't just, as one commentator put it, at like an A to C of how you become a Christian, it's an A to Z of how you live as a Christian. It should affect us all every day. We should like refer back to it and then go on from there. When you know that this is the agenda in the letter, then you see that the beginning of the letter includes some key phrases that kind of emphasize the gospel. So even right at the beginning, 1 verse 4, this Jesus who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this evil age. You don't need rescuing unless you're in a kind of lost and hopeless state. And if you are needing rescue, then what you don't need is some extra rules or things to comply with. You don't need um, any of those things. You don't need some extra teaching thrown at you. You need somebody to throw you a rope and rescue you. And this matters because those add-ons... They don't just take away from us and make our Christian walk different. 
and more difficult and things we have to add to our faith in that sense. It matters to Paul because if we, if we go into these add-ons, we're taken away from Jesus. We're diminishing what he did. We're saying that some other things matter as well or more. And, and, and he can't have that. Hence this so strongly worded letter. When you read Galatians, there's a kind of heart argument as well as head argument. Um, it's, it's there so clearly in, in, in what he's saying. I'm the sort of person, I think, who will often try and look for a compromise if people are disagreeing. You know? And in a church family like this, we would all, all often disagree, and in other work contexts and family contexts, people disagree. So we'll dis- if, we, if we all chose our favourite start time for this service, it wouldn't all be 10 o'clock but we kind of try and choose something that is kind of uh, an okay working time um, for us all. We wouldn't all agree on volume, so I'll try and find something that is okay for most people. We wouldn't all agree on our music choices. We're not trying to find an average, by the way. We're trying to reach those people who foreseeably aren't coming into church and are walking away from church. So we have a deliberate bias towards a kind of younger agenda there wherever possible. But nevertheless, I'm trying to, I'm trying to kind of find a middle ground. But here there isn't a middle ground. If you've got some people who, who say Jesus is enough and it's completely enough, we don't have to add anything, and some people saying we have to add a lot, the answer isn't to add a little bit. There isn't a middle ground. Jesus is enough and that's enough. Now, you and me, our add-ons are probably not about circumcision and about Jewish diets. But we have our own add-ons, I think. And it might be to do with Christianity plus some work I should do in order to earn my salvation. Or I am a Christian because I'm a good person. That good person bit qualifies me a bit before I accept that Jesus died for me. They're the typical add-ons today. And so if we've got those in our mix somewhere in our thinking, then we lose the simple message of being saved, rescued, adopted, forgiven and rescued. Part of his family, unconditionally, and so on. It's good for us to look at Galatians and to see where we're at with this and to recognise that it's not just for people on an alpha course who are exploring faith. It is for all of us. And I was was trying to think of um, a couple of illustrations to kind of see all this for us as to, as to why this is important. And um, I think this affects us in, in our everyday frontline world and our church world in a couple of different ways. Sometimes it affects us in the decisions we make when we've got a long time to think about them. And sometimes it affects us in the decisions we make when we've just got to make them fairly instantly. And, and if we've got this gospel thing deep within us, then it'll help us to more often make the right decisions in both circumstances. So one illustration about when we've got a long time to think about it. It was um, the annual golf thing for our church yesterday, the CBC Open. Justin was organising it, and it's a great event. And um, it's not important who won, because I didn't. But it it is a great event. And if you um, play golf and take it quite seriously, you might well have seen these things. Can we get them on the screen for us? Thank you, George. They, these are like alignment sticks. And if you don't play golf, you, you would think, well, why do you need them? You're not actually even allowed to use them when you're in a match. 
But what they do, alignment sticks, you can use them for a number of things. But the thing they're used most for, and you'll see professionals in a driving range um, use this just before they set out for a tournament, is to align yourself, you see, to where you're pointing. So the argument is, if you're playing golf, imagine these are golf clubs now for a moment, um, you would think it's an easy thing but to point in the right direction. But actually, you're sideways on to where you're pointing. And almost all of us get that somewhat wrong. Imagine I'm supposed to be pointing at 12 o'clock. Almost all of us point a little bit towards 11 o'clock or a little bit towards 1 o'clock or some people 10 and 2 o'clock or worse. Right? So what you do is you put these things down. I know it won't be terribly clear. One for where your feet should be and one for roughly where the ball is and where you're going to hit it. And make sure they're kind of roughly parallel to where you're trying to aim. And, and then you see if when you put your feet down, they were, they were where you thought you were uh, and where you thought you were pointing. Now, uh, Justin has given me this exercise to do uh, on a number of occasions because um, he, he's right in that I'm often pointing off towards one o'clock. I, I don't think I am, but, but I am. I'm often pointing in the wrong direction. And so it's a kind of helpful exercise to just go, okay, I'm often, I'm often a little bit wrong on that. What the gospel does is it, if we go back to it and we, and we re review it, not just for new Christians, but for us in Galatians, is it helps us to think, am I, am I pointing completely in the right direction? That I'm forgiven and loved and, and restored and, it's, and part of a family, it's not part of me. Have I drifted towards, towards 11 or 10 o'clock where I think it's about some good works that I must do? Um, I'm basically a, a good person, maybe, is where 11 o'clock is. Or maybe I've drifted towards one o'clock where yeah, I accept the gospel, but in order to really be accepted, there's some other things I should do. The thing with those other things, because we teach about other things, don't we, about giving to the poor and about unity and about a whole range of things, is that they should be done as a response of love to God, not because they earn us any salvation. They're our loving response to the person who's rescued us. They're not our, any part of our rescue. Really important we get that distinction. So what Galatians helps us to do is to just realign because we can so often be pointing in slightly the wrong direction. And, and, and the thing with that is, you know, golf's a static sport in that sense. You've got time to think about it. You've got time to check you're in the right direction. Other sports are less static than that. And I was thinking, um, because not just of alignment sticks um, like these, they're available in a range of colours, but, um, but of... Uh, cricket and somebody pointed out to me or used a phrase recently I saw it on a clip and I sent it to one other person who I know knows likes, know likes crickets that we should sometimes be what he called silly mid-off Christians now that takes a little bit of explaining so let me have um, a, a go at it for you um, there's a test match acid match going on at the moment at least I hope it's going on at the moment, oh yeah, we haven't, we haven't started yet, so we might still be taking place at the moment. And I was thinking, if you ever listen to the, um, the cricket on Radio 4 Longwave, do you do that ever? And it gets interrupted by what, if you're listening to it? The shipping forecast, absolutely. And I was thinking, I reckon it's a very small set, subset of people who understand all the fielding positions mentioned 
and then understand all the names mentioned in the shipping forecast. I was thinking, within our church, I reckon there might be one or two people who could like, tell you where you know, Cromarty is and also tell you where Silly Mid-Off is, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, so that was one thought. But, it, but, but there's one of the, I think the cricket positions are slightly easier. You've got wicketkeeper, first slip, second slip, third slip, and so on. And then you've got like, one bit of the name often says um, roughly where they are. So if it's a right-handed batsman, leg side... And, and, and onside um, and mid-wicket and so on. And, and then the other bit of the title often says how far away they are. So you've got like long or deep something. So if I'm batting here, you guys over there, you're long or deep something. Then you've got kind of mid something where you've still got a little bit of time to think about something. Then you've got short something. And then you've got silly something. <laughs> now you people here sitting in the front row... You're about where silly something is, if I'm batting, and it's silly to be fielding there, really, because you could actually be in some danger. And the thing with being silly point or silly mid-on or silly mid-off, um, as you've got here, is that you don't really have enough time to kind of work it all out, think it all through, and make the right decision. Uh, in the few times I've caught something really close like that, I almost haven't known I've done it. It's like, it's just been there. Oh, oh, all of a sudden it's there. It's like a reaction based on having some right things in place in the first place and a lot of practice and then just a reaction. And for you and I this week, some of our decisions as a Christian, they're not long, line it up, think about it decisions. They are silly mid-off decisions where, where something will just happen and the way that you react to it and what you instantly think or say will be based at a fundamental level I think on whether we have this gospel thing deep within our hearts whether we really know and accept that we're forgiven and loved and adopted and chosen and there is nothing more we need do to receive that So as we look at Galatians, we are called, I think, to be careful, considerate, checking we're lined up correctly, believers, and silly mid-off believers. And we'll make mistakes, but reviewing where the gospel sits within us will help us to make right, right decisions more often. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, as we pray, we picture where we will be this week and we recognise that some things that will come up, we've got a range of time to think about and process and, and other things will, will come up pretty instantly for us and we pray that your spirit will work within us. We claim a fresh filling of your spirit in order to serve you well and represent you well and we pray that the truth of the gospel may so indwell within us that we represent you well, both instantly and with considered thoughts on things too. Thank you that um, we don't need to add to what Jesus has done. That to add would be to take away. That the gospel needs no add-on. 
that we receive it freely. Amen.